Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is the word of the Lord. What story are we telling? Uh, that's, the, that's the question we're asking uh, together as a church over these couple months uh, together here. Well, again, I want to welcome you. My name is, is Nathan. I'm so glad that you're here with us. I'm one of the pastors. It's good to be, good to be together. Thanks for coming out in the weather and uh, being a part of this, this place with us. As we, as we look at God's word this morning and the words that were just read in, in Genesis, let me, let me pray for us and we'll, we'll jump in. God, I'm so grateful that uh, when it comes to this question of which story we should be living, that you... You have an opinion on that. And God, I, I pray that yours would be the loudest voice in our lives. God, that we would see that you know who we are better than we know ourselves and that you invite us into the best life. And so we trust you for these things, Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I, I love being alive right now, right here, today, this moment. And I'm not saying our world is perfect, okay? In fact, it's frankly quite a mess. Um, and, and yet, like 2017, there's something to be said for just for being alive today, right now, in this, this moment of history. I wouldn't want to be in, in, in any of it. This is, this is where God has, has put us, I believe. But even just think about the level of freedom you and I, you know, 21st century Americans have today. The options that exists for us. I mean, get your mind around this. Like, you have more food options every single day than the greatest king in all of ancient history. Seriously, you, today, right now. You, you can decide who to vote for, who to marry or not to get married, uh, who do you want to hang out with and be your friends, where to live, what to do, what job to, to pursue, what to believe, what to think, where to find meaning and significance, what to... You know, any of it, right? Like, like never before in the history of the world has anyone had, had as much freedom as you and I. I mean, in the past, like, all of that was predetermined, at least most of it was, by your family, by your community, your village, by your king. I mean, your culture decided all of that. And now, today, we decide for ourselves. I mean, that kind of freedom truly is unprecedented in the history of the world. But how do we decide? Like, there's just so many options. I mean, even the New York Times, for example, a few, a few years back, uh, just a couple years ago, in an article, uh, Too Many Choices, A Problem That Can Paralyze. Listen to what it says. Although it, is, it has long been the common wisdom in our country that there is no such thing as too many choices, as psychologists and economists study the issue, they are concluding that an overload of options may actually paralyze people or push them into decisions that are against their own best interests. It is not clear, the article says, that more choices gives you more freedom. It could actually decrease your freedom. Yeah, but I'm not going to give up my options, right? I, mean, I, love, I love it. I want, I want those, those things. And so, so how do we decide? Well, there's, there's one basic rule of thumb 
uh, for us as we make decisions today. Again, living today here and now in our culture. One basic rule of thumb. It's one of those baseline assumptions that, that we don't even think about, right? We don't even realize it. We don't notice that it's there. It just sort of is. It's, it's one of those foundational truths culturally, right, that we hold on to as truth. That determines a good portion of the way we live our lives, the story that we, that we tell. I mean, actually, if you, if you think about it, it feels like it's, it's the only moral imperative we have left. If you don't do this, you're an idiot, right? It is reprehensible. It would be tragic. How do we decide? You just have to be true to yourself. You be true to you. Don't let anyone tell you who you are. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. You be true to you. I mean, this is, the, this is the message of like every kid's movie for the last 20 years, right? Every coming of age story. I mean, think back, like that is the, in fact, in fact, some have even said that it's the last hero narrative we have left as a culture. Like it's not the dutiful and the sacrificial that we celebrate. It's, it's the one who, who bucks the system, right? Who, who, you know, regardless of what friends, family, community, social norms says, I'm going to do it my way, right? That's, I mean, if you think of it, that's what we applaud, and that's the story you and I are, are trying to live. You be true to you. Now, there's a, there's a lot that's really good about that. I mean, let's, let's, I mean we're not just sort of bashing our, our cultural understanding or assumptions. There's a lot that is really, really good there. Praise God for be, the freedom of, of being alive today. And we should try to figure out who we are. And, and we should live out of the overflow of our authentic selves, right, of, of, of who who we really, truly, deeply are. There's a lot that's good. But is this philosophy enough all by itself to write a story worth living? Again, that's, that's the series we're working on. Uh, we're all living a story. We all want that story to count, right, to matter for something. And yet so much of our stories is already essentially written for us by our culture. The things that, we, again, we just don't question, we don't think about, they're just part, like it's, it's two-thirds of the way done, right? And we have this little piece left. So much is just, just assumed. And so, so last week, for example, it was the, the story that you only live once, right? Uh, this world is all there is. You better grab it while you can, right? Because you're going to be dead soon. So just get it now, right? That was, that was the story that we, that we tend to believe. This week, it's the assumption that the best stories are written by those who follow their hearts. It's good stuff. They're just not quite enough. Now, as I mentioned last week, we can't um, answer all of your questions. Like, I'm probably going to raise more questions than, than I can possibly answer in 30 minutes this morning. Uh, and so if you have additional questions as you think about these things, text this number here. Uh, last week, we did a little Facebook Live thing. Uh, a couple of our pastors just trying to wrestle through some of those questions. And we're going to do that again tomorrow, and they'll be posted all week. You can check out last week's there. It's still posted. Um, because we know we're, we're this is some really complex stuff. Things, again, that we just sort of assume and take for granted um, that we want to wrestle with together. So text your questions if you have ones um, for us. You see, the reality is nothing determines the story of your life like the story you tell yourself. You're always talking to yourself, right? You're always telling yourself the story of, of reality, of what matters, of what decisions count, what, what, what you ought to do and shouldn't do. Like we're always telling ourselves the story of ultimate reality. 
And the book of Genesis was written to give us such a story. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. We'll have some of it up on the screen for us. But Genesis 1, we're not going to leave page 1 still. Um, if you have trouble finding it, again, page 1. Um, but the reality is, Genesis, as we said last week, it wasn't written to satisfy our curiosities on how or when the world was created, okay? Uh, those are important questions. Like, those things matter. It's not that they're unimportant. But Genesis was written... God inspired this guy, Moses, right, as God's people were leaving Egypt, going into the the land of Canaan, uh, to give them a new story, a new set of assumptions, different from the Egyptians, different from the Canaanites around them, to be God's people, truly, truly his. That's, That's why these chapters exist. God wanted his people to be different than the culture surrounding them. We could still use a little help, right? So be true to yourself. And there's so much good about this. And Genesis actually shows us why there's so much good. You know why that phrase is good? Why we grab onto it? Why it appeals to us? It's because we're so good. And Genesis 1 tells us that, like, the first thing we see in this text is that you, you are the best thing God made. Like, think about that, right? He made, like, pretty cool stuff, right? You are the best thing. You in all of your humanness, with dignity and autonomy and beauty. You. Look at at Genesis Genesis 1. So with a word God creates, right? With a word he infuses the universe with meaning. And the very best part, it's clear, right? After God made everything, he said it's good. This is good and this is good and this is good. But after he made us, like he stopped and said, no, like this is very good. Like, even, like I've, I've outdone myself, God is saying in that moment. And even, even the way the, 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 it's communicated throughout the, the text, right? God said over and over, he said, let there be light, let there be animals, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. All throughout the days of creation. But when he gets to humans, he stops and he makes it personal. Instead of let there be, he says, let us make. Like there's, this is a new phase of what's happening there. In verse 26, tells us, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, of course, the Egyptians and the Canaanites, like they had their own creation stories like explanations, you know, they're legends of, of how God created, right? Every culture kind of comes up with some sort of explanation for what is. And they had theirs. And, and essentially what it was, and this was what was surrounding God's people at that time, in the ancient Near East, why did God, the gods create? Because there's lots of them. Frankly, it was because they're petty and lazy. Like they all just, you know, kept having sex with each other and they, they had all this work on the earth of what to do. And so the gods had us, Right? That we're, we're worker ants, that's, that's it. Like the, the existence of us as humans in their worldview, their mindset is to just get their stuff done that they don't want to do. Which if you think about it, like that, that laid the groundwork for a hierarchical society, right? The pyramids, hello, right? The Egyptians, like so the pharaohs and the kings, they were the sons of the gods and everybody else, they were just their workers. There's no human dignity, it didn't matter. They just put people to work, do whatever, whatever I want. I mean, it laid the groundwork for all of that. Like, this was the story of their culture. 
And God calls his people out of that and says, that's not how it happened at all. That's not why I made you. And God tells them through Moses, I made you out of an overflow of my joy. Not because I needed you, but because I, I wanted you. And you have dignity and worth. Like in, in a moment, like as, as humans, like we're given this incredible stewardship. Like the, the greatest, God says the greatest of you and the least of you are mine. And I, and I made you for me, he's saying. I mean, that's, that's what's happening in this, this story. Instantly, we have dignity. You have a self to be true to. And this was shocking in their culture. I mean, frankly, it would have been absolutely offensive. How dare you disrupt our labor force? Like, how are we going to build the next Sphinx, right? I mean, that's, this, was, this was hard in that culture. And I love that about the Bible. I mean, the Bible offends every culture. If you think our culture is unique in that, we're so offended by all Like, every culture, because God speaks into it, and he sees all of it, right? And so even there in that culture, we like dignity as humans in our culture. But for them, they would have despised this. Are you kidding me? God offends every culture. And so it says in Genesis, all the animals were, were made according to their kind, like all the other animals, but, but we are made according to God's image and likeness. Now, theologians debate and write books and volumes and volumes on what exactly that means. But at the very least, I mean, God's image. And this is, this is one of the reasons we're forbidden to make images of God, idols, throughout the Old Testament. It's because God already made eight billion of them, right? All of us are made to image God, that we're made in, in his likeness. We look like him. If you want to get a picture of God, just look around, like anyone. I mean, the lowest person you can imagine, or the highest. God says, this is, this is a little bit of what I look like, of who I am. And we're, we're given a glimpse. We, you and I, according to, to this story, we are more like God than we're like the animals. We have more in common with him. It's shocking, isn't it? But put that in context. That means your desires do matter. Like your heart matters. You have a you to be true to. Like all of that comes out here in this story and you can be you like never before in all of history. Praise God for that. But if that's where it ends, like if that's where we get our identity, we have to find it for ourselves and pick, grab it for, for me. I mean, if that's where you find your identity or your framework for your decisions, like you just, you know, right? It's just not enough, right? I mean, don't, don't you feel like, and even frankly, even our culture knows it's not, an, it's not enough. Yes, on the one hand, we say, yes, be true to you. There's no, there's no higher value than that. And yet at the same time, we know, I think, don't we, that it leaves us this empty. If this, is, if this is your goal, and this is the second thing, you'll never stop running. I mean, if the goal is to be true to you, you're always gonna be chasing your true self, which will always leave you running. It's like a maze. Because who can, who can pin you down, right? Who can, who can figure out what, what, we really, what we really want? I mean, for example, and this is just an example of how um, I do think our, our, our culture is a bit schizophrenic on this subject. We want both. Um, it's a movie, uh, forgive me, I know. It's a little bit older and you're sick of it. Um, but Frozen, right? Elsa, yeah. yeah. I know, I know, it's been done. Um, 
But like, there's a reason that movie was the most popular, popular animated movie ever, right? And we love it. I mean, it's an amazing film. I can't, I remember the first time I watched it, it was just like this, it was spell, spellbinding, wasn't it? I mean, it's such an incredible story. And that song, right? Elsa belts it out. It is the national anthem of the be true to yourselfers, right? No right, no wrong, no rules from me. I'm free. Let it go. We'll sing it later if you want to stick around for the karaoke version of this service. Um, And my kids, like, they have heard me sing that song more times than I care to admit. Um, I mean, it's an incredible song, isn't it? And what happens in the story? She sings that song, right? She declares her autonomous self and and her her desire to, to let all of it out. And so she builds an ice castle, becomes the ice queen, and they all live happily ever after, right? I mean, if you know the story, that's not what happens at all. And in fact, the moment she, she does that, decides to be true to herself, like she alienates everyone around her. She nearly destroys her village. She pushes her sister away, almost kills her sister, right? All, all in pursuit of this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be me now. It's almost like in the movie, she sings a song and spends the rest of the movie regretting it. And meanwhile, Anna, the real hero, takes the opposite tact. She's willing to die for her sister. She'd rather be true to her sister than true to herself. And of course, the movie resolves with Elsa learning that she can't be all of her true self. She has to have some self-control, right? She, has to, she can't be completely, you know, uh, individualistic or, or living in... It's like she goes from total self-expression to deliberate self-control, right? That's the story. Are you, follow, are you following me? And like this, this is how schizophrenic we are as a culture. Because on the one hand, we say, like in kids, you know it, right? You hear it every single day and every like time you turn the TV on, every time you sit in school, like you just be, you be you, right? Follow your heart, obey your dreams, right? And yet we also know like there's this tension there of what it does when we do that. On the one hand, I do want to belt out, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I wouldn't mind living in a self-centered castle of ice all by myself. Sounds kind of good, actually. Except that it's also, like we know, it's, just, it's empty, it's meaningless. And let me, let me just mention three reasons this be true to yourself assumption, if taken too far, just doesn't work. Three, three things. First, first and probably most obvious is just, we just don't even know what we want, right? It doesn't work. It's like you, don't, like, you think you know what you want, right? But how many times have you changed your mind, right? Like what I'm building my life on now and what I'm going to build it on later. I mean, like it's always changing. To follow your heart, you have to know what your heart wants and who can pin that sucker down. Adam and Eve, right? I mean, they, they want the innocence of the garden, the beauty and joy of that pristine place, but they also really want to do it their own way. They can't have both. And obviously they, they choose poorly and and everything, everything falls apart, but we still don't know what we want. Our desires are always changing. I mean, what, what if you were still today trying to be true to your seven-year-old self? Some of you are seven. No offense. I'm not picking on you. Um, but like, if you're looking back, like, for me, if I was still being true to that self, I would have, I would, I would have so many Legos. Um, <laughs> Like, I would build a house for myself out of Legos, and I would have an entire wing in that Lego house filled with candy, right? That would be, that would be, that's what, if I was true to myself. But how happy would I be today if that was my life, right? Or I look back, what about when I was 17? 
or 27. Like, those guys were idiots. <laughs> but, I, but I let them decide what my life should be. Like, I, I followed that part, right? And now I'm, I'm 37, and I just wonder, like, what is the 47-year-old version, the 77-year-old version, what is he going to look back and think, I can't believe you spent your time doing that. I can't believe you were so devoted there. Like, what were you, what were you our desires are always changing. And, and worse, worse than that, right? That's hard enough. It's like, we just don't even know what we want. I don't know. Maybe you're better. I don't know what I want. Second, though, this is where it gets really hard. Our desires are competing, like, they're almost never, like, purely in one direction. Like, for example, like, I, I mean, one of, one of the chief desires of, of my life, my des- I want to have an awesome family. I love my family. But you know what? I also have desires within me that, if fulfilled, would utterly wreck my family. So tell me, which, which me should I be true to? Both those are in here. I can't have both. And in, even in, like, the everyday things, like, you know, I want to I wanna be healthy, but I'd love to eat pizza every single day. <laughs> I want to save my money, but I want to buy that. I want to, I wanna, you know, be successful and hardworking, but I really want to sleep in more. Like, we have these desires, so tell me in those moments, which you is you? Which you is worth listening to? And h- how are you going to decide that when it's, when it's changing? And then, of course, if you want to get theological... Um, I feel like we probably should. Um, follow your heart. I mean, Jeremiah, we're going to study Jeremiah in, in October for a couple months after this series together. And Jeremiah, I mean, what does he say? Follow your heart. He's like, are you nuts? The heart is deceitful above all things. Like the biggest liar in my life is right here. Deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? just doesn't work. We don't, we don't know what we, what we want. That's the first reason. Second, though, not only do we not know what we want, it's always changing and cult, you know, all of that. Uh, second, it doesn't work because it's not actually as free as it looks. Like we think, if I follow my heart, then it's going to be, I'm going to be me. It's total self-expression and individualism, and it's going to be awesome, right? But, but the reality is, it's still culturally determined. You will still express what your culture says you should express and suppress what your culture says for you to suppress. Almost always. Like we think we can get away with it and just, I'm going to be me, right? But we can't. You'll still filter your true self through whatever your culture says. Let me give you a couple examples of that. First of all, like if you were to live in the ancient world, you, so go back, you know, 3,000 years, 2,000 years, um, in, in some of these ancient cultures, and you were kind of an angry, violent person, like, if that, if that was you, that would be applauded in some of those cultures. Like, yes, join the king, take over the world, right? Satisfy your bloodlust, right? I mean, it would, be, it would be applauded, celebrated. Yes, you go kill some people, right? So let's, let's say you had that des- the desire, and the culture said that, but you also had this, like, strange desire within you. I also kind of want to, like, forgive my enemies, so you're already at war within yourself, but your culture then, at that point, in the ancient world, it's like forgiveness? Like, that's a relatively new virtue, frankly, brought in with Jesus and, and the Gospels. It's not something ancient culture shared. It was, that's disloyalty. You can't forget. It's embarrassing. And so if that's you living in that, in that day, which you are you going to be true to? I mean, I have a hunch, right? 
you're probably, you're gonna, probably gonna pick the violent version, right? And suppress the, the forgiveness stuff because that's what your culture tells you to do. And now it's so hard is like today, like we reverse those two, don't we? And so if you're an angry, violent person, we put you in anger management. If you're forgiving, we give you your own lifetime show. Um, like we value different things. And let's say today then, right now, those two things, those two impulses live within you. Which you are you going to be true to? I mean, come on, right? The one your culture says is okay for you to be true to. Like, we think we're free. Like, we, we think we have such individualism and all of those things, but the reality is you're not being true to yourself. You're being true to everyone else. And cultures are always changing. And so what that means like, and this, this terrifies me because I, I do this, right? I get caught up into these same things that we're, we're talking about, but like cultures are always changing. And so unless you believe that this moment in history, now, here, is the perfect culture, like we've finally done it. We've arrived, we have everything right. We don't ever make any mistakes. Like, unless you're convinced of that, if you're building your life on a be true to yourself mentality, oh man, it just, it just doesn't work. Not unless you're convinced we're perfect today. The last reason, it's insufficient, is that it's just plain exhausting. At, le- at least to me, the thought of it. I just I feel so worn out just thinking about all the effort I have to take to figure out what my life ought to be and to do it perfectly. I mean, the reality is, like, when you're a kid, you just want somebody to tell you that they love you, right? And, and when you're an adult, you, you long for, would somebody just tell me that I'm doing a good job, right? Pat me on the back, that it's going to be okay, but if, you're, if your highest ideal is being true to you, you are the only voice that can say those things to you. Think about, like, Nathan, I just love you so much, right? I don't even like myself half the time, right? Or, or pat myself, Nathan, you're doing awesome, right? It's just, like, if, I, if I'm spending my life trying to find affirmation in me, oh, it just sounds exhausting. And all the pressure rests on you. No one's going to help you write your story. Don't, don't blow it. And I realize for some, maybe that sounds like freedom, but if, what if I choose poorly? What if I can't decide? What if I, what if I change my mind? What if it doesn't work? Then, then what? I don't know how to be true to myself. I'm not sure I really want to. I mean, best case scenario, like if we grab onto this philosophy and take it to its, its destination, like best case scenario is you end up alienated, Right? You get over some of these, these challenges and you just alienate yourself from everyone and you build yourself this ice castle of selfishness, right? This tome to you, because who cares? It's all about you. That's the best case. Like worst case, I think, is that you just end in, in an absolute paralysis of despair. Unable to make a decision because it's like, it all rests on me. How do I possibly do it? And wondering, frankly, if anything actually matters at all. Ah, follow your heart. You'll be fine, Right? So what if I told you that maybe, just maybe, there's another way? Could there be another option in this mess? A a way to to truly embrace the the good of individual freedom, right? And to even, like, like be you, but even, like, the very best version of yourself, of who you authentically ought to be. To, to have that, but also at the same time to have someone who, who knows you better than you know yourself. 
who is willing to tell you who you are, to tell you and show you the very best way to live, and then who even tells you that you're good and that you're loved. It's kind of a dream, isn't it? Go back to Genesis. Chapter 1, verse 27 again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And then go to chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And if you read on in these early chapters, you see then that God gives us a purpose, a job to do, that we're, we're to work the garden. We're going to talk more about that next week. He gives us a home. And he says to his favorite creatures, which is us, you be true to me. Like that's the, that's the one rule there in the garden. Just, just be, be true to me, God says. And obviously Adam and Eve, they choose otherwise and us with them and everything fell apart. But the reality is, the lesson is the same. You see, the only, the only way to be true to yourself, truly, is to be true to someone else. That we were made to be true to someone else. It's, it's how we were designed and created to be, and so the only way to be true to you is to be true to him. And if, and if that's true, that means when our desires conflict, like he shows us the better way. It means when our culture's changing, and it's always changing. It's, he never changes. It's always the same with him. And, and when we're even, our desires are just flat out wrong. He offers to give us a brand new heart to reorient our loves and our desires. And my favorite of all, I think, when I'm, when I'm just ex- exhausted, tired of carving out my own way or trying to make a name for me, right? Or I get writer's block trying to write my story. That he can tell me who I am. Think about that. Let God tell you who you are. You are the image of God. You don't have to achieve that or earn that. Like no, no mistake or, or guilt or regret could ever possibly take that away from you. That, that is who you are. And, and you, don't, you don't have to prove yourself. Not, a, not if you're with him. For if you are with, with Jesus, that means he says to you right now, this very moment, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, if you are with him, He says to you, you are good. You are loved. You are whole. And and he promises to to make it so. That that you are of such high value that your life matters so deeply that Jesus would come and die, that our God would come and enter this world. And through his death and resurrection on our behalf, we get a new name, his. That we're adopted into his family, that Jesus is our brother, that we have all the rights before God that Jesus does in this family? I mean, it's, why, it's why Paul can write uh, in, in Galatians, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, I'm gone. But Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh or in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, that is what I need. The love of someone bigger, better, Someone who knows me better than I know myself to, to accept me and to approve of me through his, his son. I mean, when I, when I tell myself the story of who I am, most times it's just lousy. It's never enough. 
right? It's full of regret and disappointment and misdirection. But when I let God tell me who I am, I mean, that's, that's the me I want to be true to because I want to be true to him. Let's pray. God, only you can do this work in us. So God, I, I pray that you would um, help us to see the ways in which we so quickly grab on um, to the subtle assumptions and baseline truths of our culture. Help us to see them. Help us to see what's good in them and the fact that, God, you created us with this kind of dignity and freedom that we have selves to be true to. It's, it's amazing. And so I pray that we would grab on to what's good, but, God, that we would discard uh, what, what, is, um, what is wrong or unhelpful or just not best for us. God, that we would see that you have called us to so much more. Um, God, I pray that we would be true to you. And, and in that, that we would find our true selves, our true hope, our true lives, our true loves. Do that, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. I want to end with a benediction from Jude. You know, as we go into all the places in which God has put you, because God has put you there, right? Me, into our homes, our neighborhoods, our schools, uh, your workplace, the things that you do, God has placed you there um, to be true to him above all else. And so hear these words and let let they be true of us. Jude writes, to him who is able to keep you from falling and, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault. Think about that. God can do that without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now, and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace.